Mr. Garrison, didn't the guy who shot John Lennon say it was because of this book? Yes, apparently John Lennon's killer said he was inspired by Catcher in the Rye, but he was just a kook. Whoa, you're telling us this book is filthy, inappropriate, and made a guy shoot the king of hippies? Can we please read this right now? Hello, folks, and welcome back to Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten, and I'm joined by Parks Miller. Hey, it's me, a big phonies. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you've. Uh, it's like a treat now. When <laughs> oh, t- damn. Yeah, I know, I know. It's been a, it's been a minute there, so it's been a while. <laughs> that would have been a great intro if we were doing. Um, Nickelback as the dump, but Nickelback is not a dump. Mm. I, I think that's no, too Nickelback easy. Nickelback is is just good, good old fashioned rock and roll. So, <laughs> well, speaking of old fashioned, uh, we're doing a literary dump today. We are talking about the Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, this is a really funny one to me that <laughs> <I know. laughs> you picked it uh, because it's just a book that I read. In high school, and it had a very big impact on me. Um, Why? And then I guess in some ways it was like very influential. And then I kind of just hadn't really thought about it in a number of years. Um, and then Ryan, how did you even like think to do this? I think I was. Um, I, I think I was watching like uh, Inside Mark David Chapman thing and like Uh, you know that's such a big part of of that story and then like also like i've been seeing you know like once like the term incel was coined like catcher in the rye started popping up um and and you know also on tiktok like i've seen so many comedians like predominantly like female comedians being like red flag as if like a guy likes this book like it's just like this thing that Mm. like i feel like everyone just like hated this book and like like thought mm. it was like so annoying and then there's the people that absolutely love it and right. they're kind of like a pair of brown corduroy's pants but as people <laughs> damn dude i just bought a pair of brown corduroy pants I fucking nailed it <laughs> but yeah so it was like popping oh around. no <laughs> uh yeah um i just did don't get love the hat. this book no, the hat is definitely a huge red flag. What do you call that? It's like with the flaps. So he calls it the hunting his hunting cap. It's a yes, red hunting, hunting cap. cap. Yeah. We're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think it's funny because I'm also very willing to see this through. Uh, because it is a book I haven't read in a very long time. I read it as an angsty teenager. I think that's a big part right. of its success is its liter- literature for like a certain like angsty, like I'm getting, ho- my hormones are kicking in. I'm horny. I, Everyone's I'm still a phony. Like an idiot. Yeah. And so you're kind of like, there's something about the book that has this very universal appeal, but you making me, uh, revisit it it's not something i like go to you know i don't really look to that book for guidance now that i'm not a 13 year old (laughs) no shit uh and and so now that i'm looking on this lens i'm very curious about it because there is something kind of very funny to me about this whole whole oh yeah so i'm i'm with you no yeah we're we're gonna get into it so why is the catcher in the rye a dump 
The novel Catcher in the Rye is a dump because it is one of the all-time most divisive works of literature. While The Catcher in the Rye is revered as one of the greatest novels ever written, general consensus amongst those forced to read it in school is that it is wholly irritating and is kind of a how-to guide for incels. Furthermore, while assigned as required reading for many high school students, the book was conversely banned from being distributed in schools for years. And on top of all of this, The Catcher in the Rye served or The Catcher in the Rye, pardon me, served as an inspirational tool in some of the most infamous murders of all time. Uh, before we dive in, I want to thank our new researcher mel for putting together all these factoids uh, so i could just focus on reading the book yeah. and catching up on some patreon stuff um thank that, you mel that, that was a big big help um uh, you know she's uh, working on on the next dump now so it's uh, working out great for me not having to do as much uh, <laughs> also this is our second literary dump we have a couple other mm -hmm. books like we like you know there's like the dirty dozen like the songs that were banned so we have like the dirty dumping like the dirty dump like mm -hmm. book list like we just start like a culture dumps book club like it's like yeah, go ask yeah. alice like the catcher in the rye um, right but uh you know, I don't even want to say what the other ones are, even though I know that that we've mentioned them. But I just read the book for the first time as a fucking thirty-two-year-old man, and you read it in in school, so you have that I, perspective. I have the now perspective. Yeah, that's that's why I'm that's why I'm excited for it. So, well, yeah, I'm just gonna tear it apart. Also, like. <laughs> I, I know some people are going to say, like, that this book, there's no way this isn't, like, the, the ranks of, like, other dumps that we've done, like, Pogs or fucking, you know, any of that kind sure. of shit. But, I mean, it's our show. We say it's a dump, and it is. And I think We're also, thinking outside the, outside the bowl. <laughs> that's, like, um, that's, like, a Chili's, like, thing. Like, think outside the bowl, Chili's. <laughs> like, like, for the well, wait, new, like, no, it was queso. Taco Bell. Oh, think oh. Outside think outside the bun. Oh, that's, like that's, right. that's right. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. Um, and if you have but, Taco Bell, you'll be thinking outside the bowl, too. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah you'll be doing something outside the bowl. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. That little poop joke right before we even get into the fucking topic. Um, but one thing that I've noticed with, with our show and this journey that we've been uncovering pop culture is that we're almost at 80 episodes. So, you know it was easy to burn through the really obvious ones, but now we're starting to look at things a little bit deeper and there might be certain dumps where again, it might not have failed or something, or it might be something like the catcher in the rye. That's again, like, you know, totally revered and, and, you know, cherished, but there's very dumpable things about even some of the most popular stuff. So that's, that's the main, that's the main deal with that. So before we talk about the book itself, let's get into the man behind the whining. The Catcher in the Rye was written by Jerome David Salinger, a.k.a. J.D. Salinger. Salinger was born on January 1st, 1919 in Manhattan, New York. His father, Saul, was a successful cheese and ham importer, and his mother, Miriam, was a Scottish immigrant who converted to Judaism after meeting Saul. Jerome David, or J.D., was unaware of his mother's religious background until his bar mitzvah when the family secret was revealed apparently that was a big deal it kind of seems silly by nowadays standards but you can imagine you know the 30s and you know intermarriage and all, all that kind of stuff it, yeah it, it was kind of a, a thing and maybe that's where 
the whole two-sided adults always lie kind of thing was planted in his head. That's just my theory. The phony thing. That's going to be a huge theme of this whole episode, much like it is in the book, this idea that, like, you know, people are just so fake and no one's real and I'm telling it, like, how it is. Like, that's the kind of whole basis of it. And, like, why do they even have to lie? Why is anything even a big deal? Nothing matters. Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, I also, yeah, I also feel like a a part of why the book, the book is so successful and controversial, but in part because it's it's dealing with a teenager, yeah, in adult situations, and it's kind of like, on one hand, it's kind of like a teenager who is having who is struggling to understand the adult world, but then also it was controversial because the teenager was in some very adult like situations there's like yeah that he couldn't quite pull off though which i have a i take issue with but we'll get to that when we discuss the book right right (laughs) Um, but yeah it's also it's also a little different for us because it's i mean there's if you map out most of our dumps they do kind of fall into a more recent timeline um, so this is kind of like way an outlier. I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah, this is a very yeah, old Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, like, so we're kind of getting into some some old world, you know, closer to turn of the century stuff. I mean, this almost reminds me of uh, Tiny Tim. You're talking about like growing up in New York at like right. the first half of the 1900s. Like Rhapsody in Blue is playing. Like yeah. fucking, there's yeah. a kid on the on the corner, like extra, extra, like that kind of shit. It's, it's almost, it's it's almost not the the dump is gonna be almost like the reaction to the book. Yeah, sure. Of, the book itself is kind of it's one of those things where it's a someone writes a book and then the it just kind of keeps right. going. You know, it's like I don't think he could have predicted all this shit was gonna happen to him. No, book, you know? <laughs> no. So no way could this guy have predicted some of the shit that this book uh, caused or even the way it was received. So much like the main character in The Catcher in the Rye, Salinger as a teen did not fare too well in school. After flunking out of high school, he was sent away to Valley Forge Military Academy in Wayne, Pennsylvania, a school from which he did manage to graduate from. Upon returning to New York, Salinger attended New York University, but after one year, at his father's insistence, he moved to Europe to study language and business. But after settling in Vienna, he switched his focus solely to language. And if you didn't catch it yet, this dude came from money, much like the main character of The Catcher in the Rye, Holden Caulfield. Um, you know, he's a, he was a typically wealthy young man. Not, not super, super rich, but, you know... There was money in the house. He was able to go to college and flunk out and go to a private school and then, you know, get sent to Europe just to fart around basically with books, you know. Right. So there's and Mm -hmm. that's that's another kind of that. That's one of the the knocks that people have on, on the book is like this is a very kind of privileged character who's just fucking complaining about bullshit. You know, right. but when he should be, you know, taking advantage of the situation that he's in. But as we all know, mental health doesn't allow for uh, such privileges sometimes. And that's another major theme of the book is this downward spiral of mental illness and being unwell. So when Salinger returned to the States, he briefly attended Ursinus College in Pennsylvania. That's maybe how you say it. I almost read it as Uranus. Ursinus. Yeah, I don't know. In Pennsylvania, before transferring to Columbia University to study writing. And this is when he met the man who would serve as his mentor, Whit Burnett. 
Burnett was not only an accomplished professor, but also the founder and editor of Story Magazine. Story was one of the country's leading literary magazines that published works from several authors who would eventually become icons of the literary world. This includes Tennessee Williams, Charles Bukowski, Richard Wright, and, of course, J.D. Salinger. So, it was in March of 1940 when Burnett agreed to publish one of Salinger's story. Stories. This story was titled The Young Folks. Now, The Young Folks follows the conversation between two attendees at an upper scale New York party, a party that's just full of phonies and all. I wanted to do this whole uh, scripted part of this episode as Holden Caulfield, but it'd just be too <laughs> annoying and all. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it fucking uh, it pisses yeah. me off. Um, <laughs> The conversation between these two party guards is punishing, especially for the main character, Edna Phillips, who seemed to only have a good time at this party full of phonies when she snuck upstairs to steal cigarettes. This story has some vague glimmers of the catcher in the rye, but without the introspective elements that would be the signature of Salinger's most praised work. The story was met with a fair amount of critical acclaim, which was impressive considering that Salinger was only 21 years old at the time. But just as his career as a writer was beginning, the world turned upside down. And now we come to the second part, the Great War. This is crazy shit. True. I did not know. That, I mean, granted, I didn't know too much about this guy before, and I never even read the book until I was much too old to, which is probably why I hate it so fucking much. Uh, right. I mean, I'm yeah, I feel like I have to put in little things here. I mean, like the word phony, you know, that's at the time that was like more of like a popular word, you sure. know. Sure. Yeah. Like now at this point someone's calling someone a phony, you know, it sounds really weird to us. You're like, "Hey, you phony." Yeah. But like <laughs> I th I think the well, word Well, now they just say like that bitch is fake. Yeah, or they're capping. You know, and like that's gonna they're, sound they're that's gonna sound really stupid. Dude, holding Caulfield with a TikTok, like, yeah, all these guys out here just capping for the for the city girls. <laughs> holding Caulfield would definitely he would be like into like emo rap for sure. Oh, he would sure. be into like Lil Peep. Um, so God, dude, you know, that, is, that he, makes him even more annoying. <laughs> Yeah, but like that's just the that's the trope, I guess. But anyway, we're still getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so J.D. Salinger returned to Europe after being drafted into the military just in time for some of the bloodiest battles of World War II. For starters, he was one of the thousands upon thousands of soldiers deployed to Utah Beach to partake in the storming of France, a.k.a. D-Day. Yes, the guy that wrote The Catcher in the Rye is a fucking war hero who saw combat on D-Day. He was also involved in the Battle of the Bulge and the Battle of Hurchin Forest. So this guy, you know, who literally became famous and, you know, beloved in the world of, of literature, uh, he yeah. literally saw his friends get blown in half and, like, saw people's, like, eyes hanging out of their skulls and, like, just saw terrible shit and managed to survive all of this. Like, Catcher in the Rye has this this reputation of being for kind of like weak dudes, like betas, you know, uh, like kind of just like, like, Oh, like scraggly complaining, like whining, like, Oh, everyone, like, why doesn't anyone like me? Like fucking 
like I don't like anyone either, blah 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 kind of shit. But this guy's like a fucking serious badass, like it turns out. Um, so, but despite the terrible and horrifying conditions of the Great War, Salinger continued to write and even attempted to have some of his stories published in the New Yorker the very same year that he was drafted. Uh, so that's 1942, and it's almost as if he was trying to get it done before heading into the peak of what was going to be the gnarliest war ever. Like, if I don't get these stories done and sent in, like, I might not ever write again. <laughs> like, he he kind of knew what he was getting sure. himself into, which has to be, like, right. the worst feeling because, you know, I, I feel like, oh, especially, like, in between the Gulf War and, and, and 9-11, like, if people signed up for the military, they're kind of just like, this is going to be, like, fairly chill. You know, like, training will suck, right. but, like, and then all of a sudden. But, but also, I think, you know, like, part of the catcher in the rye and these traits that were just of this person, this, you know, this alienated person, you say beta. Now we're in a whole new area of podcasting. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know. But like, a, no, but like a, a sort of an alienated kind of weird, awkward person. I think that you can kind of see that like that's part of Salinger in the writing, but also he got drafted. It's not like he was like, Oh, I want to go fight. Sign me up. And I'm just yeah. writing about this, like, real, like he probably, you know, has that characteristic in him. And this is a different time, a very different time where, like, dissent for war was just like a much less popular opinion. And if you're getting drafted right. in World War II, you're going into World War II. Right. And you're being, like, forced into these situations. And we're going to find out later, you know, he absolutely had some, like, pretty intense fucking PTSD oh, yeah. oh, from for sure. being in combat. For, for so. sure. Also, though, uh, interesting note, and I, I, so, you know, something to consider, not, not to say that this really, like, had because, again, you, you're right, he was drafted, so it's not like he signed up, but he was Jewish. He's going to fight the fucking Nazis, you know, like, yeah. you know, what, what mm -hmm. if he, J.D. Sal what if Holden Caulfield was part of the Inglorious Bastards? Right, <laughs> like, right. He's just like, we're going to kill some Nazis and all. Um, so, all but one of his stories were rejected by the publication. The story that the New Yorker did accept was titled Slight Rebellion Off Madison. And this story featured the exploits of a character named Holden Caulfield. And it became the very first of many building blocks that would eventually become the Catcher in the Rye. While the magazine accepted the piece, it would not be published until 1946. The news of the delay devastated Salinger, but understandably, he had bigger fish to fry. The idea of complaining to an upscale magazine about publishing delays seems minuscule considering the fact that he was battling Nazis on a daily basis and death and, you know, tra trauma was all around him. Um, sure, but that, that could also be, I could imagine, a way to, like, escape, keep some sort of, like normalcy to be like when i get home like i'm gonna try i'm gonna publish my story you know i feel like you gotta have a light at the end of the tunnel if you're yeah. seeing combat to be like yeah i'm gonna get i'm going home and i'm gonna write a story you know like i'm not gonna die on this fucking beach right yeah also i can picture him being like in like a group of ragtag like like a movie group of world war ii guys where it's just like hey what you writing over there shakespeare oh shakespeare you know he's always writing he's gonna be a big time <laughs> author when we get back home get all the girls and all <laughs> and he's just like yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Go get all the girls yeah sure so allegedly though <laughs> he had written six chapters of catcher in the rye while in the service and carried the pages with him through Throughout the duration of the war, like literally people are being blown to bits in front of your very eyes. And you're just thinking about like this teenage bullshit, <laughs> like, and, but it right. is 
really crazy that that book, like in its most primitive form, like traveled through World War II with this guy. True. You know what I mean? Like the Catcher in the Rye True. saw way more shit. Like the physical pages of it saw way more shit than the character in the book did. You know, it, True, but I would, I would, and I will say as we get into the plot, I mean, that could, I mean, part of it, part of, there's, again, there's this divisiveness where it's a super loved book, but it was controversial and banned because it, I mean, it has some stuff. I mean, again, like when I first read it, some of that, some of the things that happen in the book, even though it's tame in comparison to like the brutality of war, some of that stuff happening to a teenager, it's like, it's it a does war in sort my head, have, man. It, no, it just, it just has, it's like a little bit, uh, it's a little abrasive. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, it's not like a um, teenager goes off the rails and like, it's not like the go off. It's not Alice horror by story. Stephen King. Yeah. Right. But it is like, you know, he's going to prostitutes and there's this very strange scene where he thinks his teacher is like trying to like <laughs> molest him. And so it's kind of it, it has some like I, it has some sort of jarring moments right. in the book with yeah. the plot. And, and, and we'll talk we'll talk more about that once we uh, once we get out of the war here. So after rising yes. to the rank of staff sergeant and serving, I think it was like five combat tours, he returned to the States in 1946, the year that his story was published in The New Yorker, which is when the world is introduced to Holden Caulfield. Uh, it was at this time that he and his, uh, his mentor, Whit Burnett, parted ways after a publishing deal fell through. Salinger blamed Burnett for the sour deal, and that was that. However, he did have another figure in his life that meant a lot and kind of was his guiding light as a writer, because after the liberation of France, he became friends with Ernest Hemingway, who was who was staying there, and he kind of became mm -hmm. a second mentor, and he wrote him letters, you know, until the end of his life. He likes, oh, great yeah. job, blah, blah, blah. Like, and he was... I, well, I think it was Burnett actually was the one saying like this Holden Caulfield guy, you have something good here. Like keep expanding on that. No more short stories. Make this the book, you know? Right. Right. And, and so and that's what happened. I yeah. mean, you know, that's a, ch a chance meeting with a kind of a literary giant, sure. you know, Ernest Hemingway, who also, you know, had a reputation for kind of being a fucking crazy person himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but like two opposite suicide. kinds of crazies. Right, right. Because um, I feel like Hemingway is sort of always portrayed as like the super, like the writer as like the macho guy. Right. Like, I'm going to go do, you have to like. I'm going to fucking write. Yeah, you have to like <laughs> actually get shit faced for five days to know what it's like to write about <laughs> being drunk, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. You know, he's got, I got to get pierced by a bull to write about the bulls. Yeah, but, um, I got to get pierced by a guy on Hollywood Boulevard because I just watched the movie 13. <laughs> it reminded me that they got tongue piercings when they're 13. <laughs> um, I will say, and again, I'm the I'm the one who's kind of defend, you know, or at least I've, I've read multiple Salinger stories. He has this one story that he published in 1948 after the war called A Perfect Day for Banana Fish. And that story I hate that title, dude. I hate that. But you would probably like this one better. Like it's 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 just about a type of fish, but it's basically I'll I'll spoil it, but it's about a soldier who's just returned from the war ah. and he's at like a Florida resort with his wife and mother in law, and they're kind of like, he's acting a little funny, but like I don't know what it is. And basically he is kind of like 
being isolated. There's always these themes of isolation, isolated, removed. Right. Uh, he has this like kind of weird interaction with a little girl in which she's just like she's like wandered away from her family and he kind of like talks to her for a second and plays with her and then he just like goes to his hotel room and like blows his brains out and like that's the end of the story <laughs> um so oh <laughs> i always i always thought that was like a good one and i guess my whole point being like i feel like and i know you're kind of <laughs> emphasizing like oh this guy this holden guy's a big wuss but i'm like i feel like somehow like some of the war the the fucked up stuff that he experienced in war and obviously in this one story I'm talking about, it it comes out. Right. You know, well, and so I feel like that I don't know. There is this kind of like unsettlingness. Right. To well, there's tension. There's this like unhinged there's a lot of tension. Yeah. darkness. And yeah. I, I mean, really, the, how you get to Catcher in the Rye and even a story like that, it's like because J.D. Salinger was like a Holden Caulfield. He like was in and out of school, didn't really know what he wanted to do, was kind of just like floating through, was probably in his head a whole right. lot about mm -hmm. it. But then you take yeah. that guy and you put him through some of the bloodiest battles that the world has ever seen and known. Not to mention that, but he was also one of the soldiers that first marched into the concentration camps and exposed what was going on in there and liberated some of the camps. And like, that's fucked you know because those guys didn't they had no idea what they were getting into so now you have this angsty yeah. teenager that has all Super of this fun. compacted you know and yes so it, right. it's gonna have a harder edge to to the whole content of the book um yeah i mean I, that's just like the craziest thing um but he also managed to get married in 1945 but divorced in 47 and fun fact uh it was around this time that salinger also dated actress una o'neill who would eventually go on to become charlie chaplin's fourth and last wife uh so you know she <laughs> she's star fucker and you, <laughs> and you don't have names like that anymore una o'neill well we have uma but yeah no una o'neill yeah that's that's silly all right so the catcher in the rye. I don't know. Uh, Parks, you can see this. They cannot, and I'm not going to say it. I don't know why it typed like that. <laughs> Are you seeing that? Anyways, all right. Not a visual podcast. All right. While Salinger did write about his combat experience, most notably in the unpublished work The Magic Foxhole, it was his ongoing saga of one Holden Caulfield that would become his masterpiece. The first, you know, it was at first published as a series of short stories that centered around Holden, a character that his former mentor implored him to keep writing about. And uh, The Catcher in the Rye was eventually published as a complete novel in 1951. So, like, there was, like, short stories coming out about him, and I think, like, and those were based on the six chapters he had written during the war, and then he mm -hmm. expanded it and put them all together in, in one book. Um, also... It's interesting. So, yeah, in 1955, uh, he married his second wife, Claire Douglas. They had two kids, Margaret and Matt. Uh, Catcher in the Rye came out four years before that. But this whole time, he's dealing with what was, like you said, but at this time, it was combat shock, now known as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, wait, wait, wait. Is it? I thought it was shell shock. There's shell shock, and then, but and then there was, there's also combat, combat shock. Combat, combat fatigue. fatigue? No, there's battle fatigue, combat shock, shell but shock. Go be in yellow, like all all sorts of fucked up stuff, because they just right. they, they didn't know okay. what it, what it was what mm -hmm. was happening to these guys. And actually, uh, your boy, they were just James Gandolfini. He has a series yeah. of documentaries on HBO about soldiers, and one is called War Torn, and it's about the history right, of PTSD. Right. And it's really fucking crazy. Um, they have like a letter that a guy wrote to his like his suicide note, basically. Um, 
a guy from the Civil War. And then it shows all these interviews with guys, you know, that served in World War Two, and they're just like fucking blank humans. Like they they're just pet- yeah. forever petrified. And he he experienced that, um, you know, to a great degree. And in an effort to quell that trauma. He tried like a whole series of different mental health practices and like spiritual practices, including Zen Buddhism, Vedanta, Hinduism, Christian science, and even a pre-Scientology version of Dianetics. So, I mean, he's trying Mm -hmm. anything he can to kind of ease his mind. And he's writing about Holden Caulfield, who didn't go through that stuff. It's almost like he's trying to regress back to his time before he was in the war and saw all these terrible things. Right. I mean, this was a huge moment in world history, American history. And you had, but also the U.S. won the war, you know, kind of it's, you know, we like now it's our, I don't know, the way the timeline we have of events now or like the reality we're in now, it's like, Really, ever since the Vietnam War, it's just been so much more of a question, like, are we doing the right thing? Right. But, like, it was very, like, at this point in time, like, the U.S. won World War II, and it was like, we are, like, the good guys of the world. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, all these, like, war heroes are coming back, and it's like, well, here, like, you did it. It's great. So, like, now here's your wife, your kids, your family, the American dream. And like now, just like go do your like be have normal. your fucking barbecues and be happy about you know. And then they're dealing with this like serious yeah. fucking like, shit. Like why does Dad wake up at saw. four a.m. screaming every fucking right. night? You know, and like right or like why is Dad like drinking a lot? You know, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, it, it's it's terrible. And I mean, yeah, no one knew. And I mean, also what's even more fucked up is you know, and it was a lot of these guys just like swallowed that shit because. They, they were seen as weak, you know? It's like you were supposed to go yeah. over there and be like a badass. And also another part of PTSD it isn't even necessarily the things that you see or experience, but it's like the programming that you go through to be able to like strip. Because it's like a human instinct to not want to kill someone, you know, like right. another human. Right. It feels so unnatural. So they have to program you to do that. How do you turn that off? I mean, all this stuff. So, yeah, hit by him writing about a teenager, it's kind of like a way for him to live in a world where he didn't experience all the fucked up shit that he did but let's talk about the book all right <laughs> let's talk about the book let's we're, talk about the we're book. here yeah. so holden caulfield he's 16 years old uh he's going to a private school pensy and he's flunking out uh that that's how it starts he's got complaints about his roommates he's got complaints about the guys down the hall he's got well, complaints about start, girls it starts with him in a hospital and being like let me tell you how i got here right Right. So it kind of it already starts off where you're like, okay, something went wrong. Yeah. And then let's kind of like do one of those rewinds, you know. Yeah, and he basically and- has like this lost it's like it feels like the book takes place within a very short amount of time from like like where he says yeah. like, okay, like I left school and then I got fucked up like mentally in a right. matter of days and now here I am. Yeah, 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 which is very, very possible. At, you know? at one point, um, you know, like it's like the main thing, like, and the reason why it was like controversial is a, it's written the way that young kids talk, so it's a very kind of like not 
literary it's not a literary voice that like that people were used to you know there's a lot of slang there's a lot of swearing it's about a teenager swearing but then of course yes you have the the probably the most famous moment is the prostitute moment where yes. an elevator guy cuz he leaves school with money he's instead of going to his parents house cuz he doesn't want them to know that that he flunked out he like Goes and stays in New York by himself, which, like, at 16, like, can you imagine doing that? It's like Home Alone fucking lost in New York, but, like, way more depressing. Right. But it's also, like, again, like, the timeline, it's, like, set in the 40s. Right. And it's just, like, right. it probably just wasn't even that weird, you know, yeah, I mean, Yeah, and he's as just smoking weird. all the time. Like, he's, like, he's always yeah. smoking, like, and for, like, a 16-year, I mean... It's just, I mean, but again, smoking, you know, it was so much more prominent back then. But the doorman or the elevator guy at the uh, at the hotel he's staying at, says, hey, you know, you know, you want some action? And so he yeah. says yes, and he sends up a prostitute who the description makes her sound like kind of sexy, but like he wasn't into her. But I was like, <laughs> I think I'd be into her. But um, it, like, well, he's kind of he's, he's not into her. He's kind of nervous, and he's like, it's sort of the, like, I just want to talk. Yeah. And she's like, that's great, honey, but, like, I'm not here to talk. Yeah, meter's running. Yeah. Yeah, and he and then there's a whole, he gets beat up. He gets beat up twice in the book, right? Oh, yeah, his roommate, um, like, fucks him up once, and then yeah. and then the, this pimp, because, yeah, like, basically, I mean, and also, like, fucking holding Caulfield, dude. Like, if I was a prostitute, and he was like, I just want to talk, I'd be like, I'd rather you butt fuck me. Like, instead of having a conversation with you, I would literally rather that than having to sit here and talk to you. But he doesn't like there, there's a dispute about the money. Like he said, oh, no, it's only going to be five or something. And she's like, no, it's 10. He's yeah. like, well, I'm not giving you money. And then a pimp comes up and he gets a uh, reality checked. <laughs> you know, it's like, you don't fuck yeah. with that. Yeah. And I guess that's well, part of it. OK, so. What I have to say, because I know, so I always want to back up, like, the book, it's like he is, like, he drops out of school, and first off, you know he's in a, he's in this hospital, so he's kind of, like, telling, like, how he got here, and he drops out of school, and basically, he's kind of going around as this teenager, interacting with people his age and with adults, but kind of in every single interaction, he is like something he's not having this real human connection yeah. right like something goes wrong so i think that is why that is part of the power of the book is that it was like as a teenager that is a very like teenage angst or feeling like disconnected with the world is like a pretty relatable thing like i mean you know yeah, this, i'm just a kid not, and my you know 1955 or whatever like rebel without a cause i mean right. essentially like james dean is doing the same thing but he like is really cool at the same time <laughs> um and he like looks like a badass and he's yeah. handsome about it but he's still kind of doing the same it's the same kind of character um but so the holden caulfield character is having these false interactions but i do want to say he's also is very much like the unreliable narrator because part of him is that he is yes he's calling everyone a phony yeah and but when you look when you kind of look at the thing like i feel like when i read it as a teenager honestly i was like yeah phony like <laughs> all these people just kind of being like people don't get me and like that is the power. That's like what made it yeah, so relatable. Yeah, all these jocks. What, like it's like the classic what, looking you know, at jocks and being like they're right, fucking and phonies. It's like, yeah. I'm, 
I'm different and people just don't get me. But when you look at it as an adult, you're like, damn, dude, you're kind of like really fu- you don't get it. Like he kind right. of in in most of these situations, he is very insecure. He's very like he just keeps doing sort of the wrong thing. Like there's a mo or he just think he's, he's also extremely pretentious. Right. And he's a suit. Like it's narcissism. I didn't really like, I like, you, yeah, it's not that, um, like his whole thing is like, you know, yeah, none of these, like, I'm not making a connection with anyone. Like I danced with this girl. She ended up being like an idiot. Uh, I called like my friend phony. who I thought, who I thought was smart, but God, he just talks so much. And Oh, like my friend, like all he cares about is girls. What a joke. It's like, dude, you're the fucking pro. Like he thinks that he knows so much right. more than everyone. And that's a very teenage thing too. Right. Where you just feel a, like, you yeah. know, something that everyone else does. not Exactly. There's a, there's a moment where he's like watching a pianist, like a jazz pianist play and the the penis is really good, and he's like, he's too good. Yeah. Like what a I phony. Hate when people are too good. It's like shut the. Fuck he's up. just like he's he's so good. He knows it. And again, it's fun. Yeah, because like kind of reviewing it for this episode is like wow, like what a fucking douchebag. <laughs> but again, like like you said, like not only is like feeling alienated, but also feeling like you are right and everyone doesn't get you and everyone else is wrong. For whatever it is, for whatever that is objectively worth, is a very powerful, like, sort of trope, like a story trope, especially for adolescents. So I do think that that is part of why it was so successful is because he nailed that feeling and made it so, like, that's kind of the thing is being relatable, even though as a 30-something-year adult, you're like, get a fucking life, you loser. Yeah, you fucking idiot, yeah. But yeah, like it was definitely. I feel like he's a he is a good writer. Yeah, he nailed the tone really well. Well, yeah, and um, also there's like you know there's swearing in it, which which was a thing. Like yeah. like it says like fuck right. and, and and bitch yeah. and fucking yeah. bastard. And, and I mean, yeah. So that also just had the controversy. Yeah, the prostitute. There's controversy. He sees a cross dresser and calls them a phony. Doesn't age well. Um, <laughs> but he because he's like they're a phony. But um, I think to me the the I feel like the mo- the most intense and kind of disturbing part is he is he's like because he's kind of just sort of on the lamb in a way. He's like in New York, but he won't go home. Yeah. And so he's kind of like trying to hide out. He keeps just having these sort of like failed interactions with other humans while looking for a human connection. Spending and money like all the up, way. Yeah. Yeah. He ends up. uh at the apartment of an old teacher, right? And the old teacher is like giving him all this advice and he falls asleep on the teacher's couch and he wakes up and the teacher has like got his hand on Holden's forehead saying, you don't look very well. And Holden like freaks out and he's like, hey, this 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 adult's trying to like put the yeah. moves on me, molest me. And uh, I remember, yeah, like reading it and being like, wow, this is really disturbing and like fucked up because from his perspective, the teacher is trying to like molest him or something. Right. Well, I mean, I just. But the whole thing is, you're like, did he ev- did that even happen in that way? Was the teacher even like, like, did the teacher actually have bad intentions or not? Right. It, you know? it, it is kind of hard to tell. And I actually, I mean, I just finished the book literally like right before we started recording, and uh, so that was like that's like the chapter the second to last chapter when that happens um i I believe and uh 
yeah, the way it's written, it's like it's like it says that he was almost like petting his head, and uh, yeah, and, and he was wasted. You know, the teacher was drinking, but also it's like what fucking teacher would let a sixteen year old boy like stay in the house and like the guy's wife is just cool with it and is like, yeah, here's some coffee and cigarettes, and like <laughs> I mean, and again, it's like I do feel like that is like different times or something. I mean, not to say that like this type of misconduct wasn't happening, it absolutely was, but when I was like rereading this whole plot about the perfect day for banana fish where the soldier the like the the veteran just shoots himself at a resort is part of it is there's this very strange moment where he's interacting with this little girl in a way that like to anyone in this time like this generation you would be like weird like aloof alienated adult is interacting (laughs) with a, a little girl like not near her parents you're like that sounds like you like i immediately was like oh god this is gonna go horribly but then, but then it's like, like god he just kills himself <laughs> but it just seemed weird where i was like wait was it just okay for little girls to like talk to random men back in the 40s i just like the way it's written i don't know if or maybe that's part of just making the tension of the story but it just it really like i was like what the fuck is going on didn't, in this, didn't like, sit well very short story well, so I don't know, like, but yeah, well, he's hanging out. He's he's hanging out with his teacher. I mean, it does feel like possibly back in the forties, if you had like that, could be something you could that you would do. You'd hang out at your teacher's apartment. Yeah, because I don't. He goes know. to multiple teachers' houses. Like, there, he goes like first to one like right before he quits school or whatever or leaves the school. But also, like, speaking of little girls, like he he's always talking about old Phoebe. He always, old Phoebe, you'd get, get get a kick out of her. It's his little sister who he goes to visit, and uh, she's just, like, able to leave school uh, because he dropped a note off for her. And Oh, and then he says right. he got di- – like, he gets diarrhea at one point and then faints. Like, he has, like, such bad diarrhea, he, like, passes out. Um, and then drops a note off for his sister, and she's just, like, at, like, eight or nine, ten years old or whatever the – however the fuck old she is. She just leaves school and gets to hang out with him, and he's like, I'm going to run away, and I just wanted to say bye. And she's like, well, I'm coming with you. And then he decides not to, and he goes home, and his parents are like, you're sick in the fucking head, so we're locking you up. But there is this weird thing where it's like there's this constant – like oh, it's almost like she's like represents like the innocence, you know, like the one thing that really makes him happy is like because like she's pure, so she can't be a phony yet because she's too young, you know. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that, that there's like an interesting uh, kind of crossover with the book and, with the story you're talking about. And that's where, and then the whole innocence is where the catcher in the rye, the title comes from because he had like he kind of multiple people in his life are like you have no aspirations, you're. You have no motivation, you know. You yeah. you, you have you have nothing going for your life. And he's like, well, I want to be a catcher in the rye, which is this essentially made up profession, like from a dream, where he's like seeing all these kids falling, and he's like, I'm gonna catch them before they fall, and it's just like highly metaphorical for like once they like the falling is them growing up and becoming phony and, like, and becoming phony adults, and he does say phony way too much. Um, he says in all way more, dude, and that drives me crazy. Um, and so him, it's like, I want to catch them before they fall and become phonies and adults. And the whole the whole irony of it is, like, he is completely lacking in self-awareness of, like, how he's, like, not... He, like, himself is not an adult, and he is kind of a, a phony, at least in the way that he's extremely pretentious, and he right. also judges people based on superficial things um 
especially like the with the girls he's dating like he has all these stupid superficial things for dating them and he kind of idealizes this one girl that he doesn't know that well and like yeah you know so it's but again i think that that's kind of why it's it's good as far as a book no sure it is it's a it's a great unreliable narrator well it, you know? it's also you know it's like a very uh, self-absorbed thing to be like like i could catch the kids like, like they need me because I know better. But then also, right. you know, and we're going to get to this, uh, you know, towards the end of the episode. But it is a very interesting thing um, that like how you said that he I like idolizes or, or has this idealistic vision of this one girl that he doesn't know that well. And that's like that's what he keeps holy in his head. And it's only and you know that if he had spent five minutes with her, he would go right back to, oh, she's a phony, blah, blah, blah. Like, right. I'm so disappointed. And that kind yeah. of theme of keeping something like putting someone on a pedestal that you don't know will come back later yes, in this episode very much so and then also maybe the only other thing uh is that he is a virgin in right. the book is he's a virgin because you've mentioned like the incel thing and like yeah i think that and i i guess i'm trying to find maybe the best time to go on an incel rant about <laughs> catching the rye Just throw her in but he's very much a virgin and he very much i think he, I think he kind of brags to his other dude friends that he has had sex and he knows about sex. He knows how to have sex. Yeah. But he, he doesn't. He doesn't. Right. And so, and then, and then part of his thing is he is, he's getting cucked. He's simping. No. Uh, <laughs> well, no, no. He's a beta cuck. But, no, but, but he literally, <laughs> but no, but I mean, like, there's this one girl that he has a crush on and then his, like, more outgoing roommate like takes her on a date right. and then he like antagonizes that guy and that guy beats him up and then he's with a prostitute but he gets nervous and then he just wants to talk and then her pimp beats him up and then he like goes on a the one girl that does like him he like he's like, just like oh on. she likes me but i don't like her she's she's not a she's like the only not phony because she's just like lame to yeah him, you know yeah and he, so he does he does it is great because after not thinking about this book for so long, which I think is good for me to not think about this book every yeah. day, um, is to now revisit. I'm like, wow, yeah, he's a fucking insufferable character. Yeah. Like, as an adult, you've learned some things. You're like, well, it's like, you better fucking grow up, dude. And I, I, I think we talked about this on our pickup artist episode, but like with the incel thing, there's. You know, the the involuntary celibates, they look at guys like pickup artists or like these quote unquote alpha males, like much like Holden Caulfield, like looking at his roommate who like tends to get girls. And it's like, see, like that guy's a fucking phony because that's all he cares about. Whereas I am better than him because I want a connection. True. The supreme this, gentleman, nice, the fucking the nice guy yeah. trope. Yeah. And I do think that that's, again, why I was like, cool, I'm super down with this as a dump because the nice guy trope is this kind of interesting thing that I was just even like watching a video about it where it like kind of has had this like sort of slow burn of being like, you know, just being like, oh, I'm the nice guy kind of. Yeah, but it, I'm this, the bad guy. <laughs> it's this very like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like when when the when the the Chad or whatever goes on a date with his crush, when he gets back from the date like Holden is like keeps asking he keeps prying yeah. like about what happened on the date and it's like Psycho. 
that's not your fucking you don't get to like that's not your place dude like you didn't get to go on the date and she's not dating you and so it does kind of reveal this um yeah reveals some really unhealthy behavior um but at the time i think i was just like oh man like this guy no one understands this guy and i'm a teenager and no one really just my mom and dad don't understand <laughs> me you know and really that was enough i had i had fucking friends i mean i guess i couldn't like get a date or whatever but like i had friends but it was really just my parents didn't let me like stay up late yeah and i, Everything's I fine. was afraid to talk to girls and so i was like yeah this guy this he's guy's just got like it going me, on you know yeah yeah Holden Caulfield, Holden D's nuts, more like it. Holden D's. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Upon its initial release, <laughs> the book was praised for its honesty, but quickly gained the reputation of one of the most important literary works of the 20th century. While The Catcher in the Rye was intended for an adult audience, it garnered a reputation as a seminal piece of young adult writing. This misunderstanding of the expected readership led to the book's first scandal. That's the whole thing. It's about a teenager written from a teenager's perspective, but this is an adult book. It's not it's not meant to be like a, a YA novel, you know. Um, right. Beginning in 1961, The Catcher in the Rye came under attack from several groups preaching moral superiority, many of which had a chokehold on the American public school system. The book popped up on the Moral Crusader radar for its perceived vulgar language and adult themes. Up until the year 1982, The Catcher in the Rye was the most censored book in the American public school system, which in turn made it one of, if not the most banned book in the country. So, yeah. like, it's it's because of all the things that we just talked about that while they're, oh, well, this is for teenagers, we, like, as an adult, I can remember what it was like to feel this way. So maybe teenagers would like to read this as well. So they bring it into schools and people are like, this book has prostitutes. It, it says fuck. Uh, you know, it's talking about teenagers he's smoking, having sex. He's, he's drinking. Smoking, he's dr yeah, he keeps getting yeah. into bars and like, you know, I, at first it seemed like no one was serving him. And I was like, yeah, you fucking idiot because you're a little snotty 16-year-old asshole. But then like he goes yeah. to a bunch of bars where like he gets fucking shit-faced. And I'm like, god damn. Like, what the fuck? I, I mean, that was definitely different times. I mean, the drinking age wasn't even 21 at that point. It's just crazy. Yeah. So, uh, as you know, and while it was the, the most banned at one time, it still is to this day. It's, it's the second most taught book in American schools. It's fucking like, I mean, it's so prevalent. And, and I think that that reputation, A, is like something that gets kids excited to read something. Like you, like when you hear that a book was banned or something, you're thinking yes. that it's going to be like fucking dick sucking fucking motherfuckers and bitches and fucking like yeah. drugs and all this crazy shit. And you read it and it's the catcher in the rye and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, the, um, at least Go Ask Alice has great, some juicy shit, you know? There's a great actually uh, South Park clip um, where literally that like they're like, dude, I'm. I, what's the fucking teacher's name, dude? I'm oh, so bad uh, at this show. Uh, Mr. Garrison. Uh, but he's like trying to get them to read the book, and they're all just like, we don't want to fucking read it. He's like, well, it was like a banned book. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> and, then, and then they're like, and then Cartman's like, oh, shit. Like, I want to read it right now. Oh, yeah. And they're all they're like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It, it, that, but that's what happens. And, and I mean, it's enough to, it's enough to sell them. Uh, the book also coined the term screw up. 
Like, oh, he's a screw up, mm. or I'm, I really felt like a screw up. Um, and yeah, like the teen drinking and smoking, that shit really was never talked about. Um, also, you know, he, he kept saying throughout the book, he keeps saying, like, I just didn't really feel that sexy. Like, like, like I, I don't really know about uh-huh. sexy things. Like, using sexy in this yeah. really uh, primitive way. Um, Not- sexy. And in 1978, it was actually banned from a slew of Washington high schools um, for being communist propaganda, which is interesting because it doesn't mention like any of that shit. And this is 78, like the Red Scare had like pretty much, you know, like mm-hmm. disba- like wasn't even a thing anymore. The Cold War was still happening, but it's not like there was like communist witch hunts or whatever, like yeah. at the end of the 70s. Yeah. And it's certainly, it's bizarre that the Catcher in the Rye was like viewed as this communist piece of propaganda. I'm looking at just like a Google image search of Cold and Caulfield, and I will say like all of this fan art uh, <laughs> absolutely does make you want to be like oh god damn like this is it's like or i think the a lot of people like draw soft, as anime soft soft boy um and there's that one meme of the guy in the beanie who's smoking who looks really sickly oh uh, okay the doomer the doomer meme <laughs> and basically holden caulfield is like the doomer which is kind of this new iteration of the sad boy the soft boy um right but yeah it's just kind of this thing where i guess well, well we'll get into like the impact more yeah but so salinger <laughs> yeah. he wrote a lot more than just the catcher in the rye throughout the 1960s he published works such as franny and zooey raise high the roof beam and carpenters and seymour an introduction just to name a few um but it would be the catcher in the rye that was his greatest work you know against uh, his better wishes uh that's what was remembered the most he kind of grew to not necessarily hate it, but it was like, God damn it. Like, you know, it's like when you're a one hit wonder, it's like something gets so big and has so much going into it that like you can't really catch a break with anything else that you do. Uh, yeah, I mean, and not he, to mention uh, that he was fucking mentally ill. He was like scarred, you know, so he had a lot of shit he was, going on. Yeah, he was. And also, I mean, it should be noted that because of sort of the notoriety because what's what's going on is he's getting notoriety because of the banning of the book so he's getting like you know certain groups like moral groups are like saying that he's writing filth that's poisoning the mind of america but then also the book is super popular so he's getting like extreme fans like stalker type of like really intense fandoms who are like this book is like a bible i mean like i have been as revisiting it i mean i'm seeing just people like being like i write i read this book once a year like people are still saying that to this day like i read this book once a year that's like me Um, with joe dirt like i watch joe dirt like maybe three times a year (laughs) that's my coming of age that's your coming of age story (laughs) uh joe joe dirt is a Joe, Joe Dirt is a uh, classic tale. I mean, it is an American <laughs> tale. It's a it's a, it's a great True. it's a great work. It, it, it is Joe Dirt is a great work. But I want to say that also, yeah. He, part of him is he became this like big uh, big recluse. Right. Oh yeah. No, we're, we're going to talk about that for sure. Yeah. But he didn't he didn't like write like he did write stuff, but he kind of stopped writing after like the mid sixties. Yeah. And was alive. Just until... collected checks, dude. 
2010. So, I mean, most of his life, he wasn't writing. Right. Yes. You know? And it's, it's because of, uh, yeah, all that shit. After his second marriage dissolved in 1967, Salinger grew increasingly reclusive, a character trait that would end up defining the author. The fame that came from writing The Catcher in the Rye, coupled with his combat shock, a.k.a. PTSD, proved to be too much for Salinger. He began to hide from the public more and more until eventually disappearing into almost complete obscurity. But his reclusiveness only helped to boost the reputation of the novel and himself. Uh, and he really meant it like he's not a phony like this guy did not want to be part of the world he did not want all this attention it's very like Kurt Cobain kind of shit where it's mm -hmm. like god damn it no like like I like I'm glad that people like what I did but it was written from mm -hmm. a place of like total honesty and yeah. like I'm now it's becoming like now all these phonies like it and everyone's yeah. missing the point. Yeah. And also, like, there's a lot of fucking weirdos that are taking it to an extreme. Like, I'm, I'm right. out. I'm checking out. So some of Salinger's later works were also, you know, they were scrutinized so much so that it almost seemed as if they were written by a different person than Catcher in the Rye. His story, Hapworth 16, 1924, which was published in The New Yorker, came under harsh criticism, despite the fact that it included the Glass family. And the Glass family was a band of characters that appeared in many of his works, including Franny and Zooey, A Perfect Day for Banana Fish, and Uncle Wiggly in Connecticut. Uh... I love how, like, these names are so fun. Like, Uncle Wiggly in Connecticut. The guy probably is, like, a cutter and, like, an alcoholic. Yeah. And, like, lives alone they, and eats tuna out of a can. Like, you know what I mean? It's, like, all depressing-ass yeah. fucking shit. Um, yeah. It's all, like, kind of fun-sounding titles. And I guarantee you there's some, yeah, some dark shit going on yeah. in that one, too. As his reclusive, creepy life went on, Salinger found himself in the center of a variety of lawsuits to protect his intellectual property. The first of which that are worth mentioning was the 1987 Salinger vs. Random House, where he sued to stop the publication of a collection of personal letters he had written to friends and other authors. The other major lawsuit was a 2009 case, which disputed a sequel to Catcher in the Rye, written by an author going by the pseudonym J.D. California, who was later exposed as the Swedish book publisher Frederick Colting. So, I mean, that's fucking f really recent, you know, but someone was like, oh, I'll write mm -hmm. a sequel to this, uh, and I'm going to go by J.D. California. That, <laughs> like, that's that like a porn name. Like a fucking, that's like a, or like a fucking breakfast brunch chain like jd oh, yeah, california california's <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah yeah well they got great uh never mind i was gonna make a rye bread right no i'm not gonna do it um but on january 27th 2010 jd salinger was found dead of natural causes at the age of 91 now let's get to the good shit this is what this is what you paid for. This is the the true dump. Uh, while The Catcher in the Rye still stands as one of the most influential novels of all time, there is a dark veil draped over the entire sensation. That veil is drenched in the blood of several people who were murdered by absolute losers who somehow confused the blank wave message of Holden Caulfield as a message of violence and revenge. It is believed that one of the main reasons for Salinger's reclusiveness was due to the disturbing amount of fan mail he received from people who, through their letters, seemed to be relatively unhinged mentally. While the novel has been a comfort for millions of underdogs and outcasts since its release, it also, on a very deep level, has spoken to true narcissists, sometimes to a disturbing degree. 
And that's like what you were talking. Like they, used to, I watched a uh, like a short little documentary. Okay, first of all, can we talk about some of the YouTube shit before we get into the the, the true crime shit here? Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny because you know it's like a it's a high school required reading book. And um, right, which is funny because I remember I didn't have to read it in high school, but I did have to read like To Kill a Mockingbird, which my school tried to have banned, you know, because it uses some choice words, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but fairly freely. Damn. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say one of the choice words. Shifferobe. Got you. Shifferobe. Yeah, I didn't. I, Big yeah. word. Dude, you're like sweating. You're like, don't do it. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's I know that word because of. <laughs> To kill a monster, sure. and it plays a huge part in that story. But uh, on YouTube, so like, there's videos that uh, people had to upload from their video production classes in high school, where it's like, okay, make a trailer for a movie based off a book that you had to read this summer. So there's all these like high school kids making like these fucking kind of shitty like fake trailers for a Catcher in the Rye movie. But what was the other one that we <laughs> that we both watched? Yeah, there's no, there was one, the Catcher in the Rye official trailer, which I totally clicked on because I was like, wait, they made a movie That's of it. That's what I thought, yeah. And and uh, knowing that it was a high school project, I'm like, okay, it was pretty good. Because like at first I thought it was a trailer. I was like, damn, this movie looks like shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, That's a fake cigarette. No, it's a well-made high school project. Sure. But seeing the character with the hunting cap. Um, I completely forgot about the hunting cap. And I was like, wow, the hunting cap really makes this guy look like kinda, a psycho. <laughs> it really does something right. Like there's it's, Holden Caulfield and Ed Gein. Those are the only people that have worn a red hunting cap in pop culture. Yeah. And there's been other like I realized that there's also like kind of uh, I guess there's been other movie tributes to it. Yeah. As like whenever a movie wants to have a loner character, like put on the hunting cap. Um, right. But no, but what was the review? Anyway. The the review one. The review was, was thug notes. Yeah, thug notes, dude. It's just yeah. like some like gnarly, like thug type guy reviewing books. It's just I mean, it's like a do it's like a do rag big chain, like kind of oh, like a very like Dave Chappelle character esque sure. like I'm a thug. I'm like a black dude who's like going to analyze a book and talk in a way that makes it sound like I'm really dumb, right. but I'm actually like, but he actually hitting all it. of the major. He's like, and that yeah, shit was and- a motherfucking metaphor for children growing up and becoming <laughs> phonies. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there, it was actually pretty funny that we discovered, yeah, thug uh, notes. thug notes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it feels like a key and it feels like a key and peel skip. Absolutely. Sketch, yeah. I'll, I'll post it on our, yeah. on our Patreon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so. for, for all those uh, research supplementary subscribers. So people, but back to the people that take it way too seriously. So people with a narcissistic personality view themselves as superior and more deserving than just about everybody else. This condition, unlike many other predominant mental illnesses, is not necessarily one that the narcissist is born with. Rather, it is developed over time due to a severe lack of self-esteem and in some cases abuse. So rather than, you know, becoming depressed and and feeling so bad about yourself, you kind of take the, the opposite road and you're like, no, I'm better than everyone. That's why no one gets that i don't have any friends because no one's good enough to be my friend it's, it's just yes, weird and then right. and then that starts creeping into all aspects of your life and the character holding caulfield could be viewed as a narcissist as he is really the only character that appears in the catcher in the rye that he doesn't take issue with everyone else is a phony and he knows better now 
The most famous instance of the Catcher in the Rye influencing a violent crime was the murder of Beatles frontman John Lennon. Lennon was murdered December 8, 1980 by a delusional fan and sometimes not fan, Mark David Chapman. Chapman fell in love with the music of the Beatles at a young age and was especially mesmerized by John Lennon. Growing up, Chapman was by all accounts unpopular and easily influenced. In his late teens, he adopted a persona based in the world of the counterculture of the 1960s, a.k.a. hippies. However, after the exciting world of psychedelics and bumming around the country revealed itself to not be everything Chapman dreamed of, he turned to religion. Well, religion and Catcher in the Rye. Uh, it's actually like I, I, I listened to... Um, I mean, I've I watched so much shit on Mark David Chapman, and I also listened to the last podcast on the left episode uh, right, uh, about right. it, which is great. Which is also, yeah, because it like the finding religion after taking lots of drugs is, right. uh, you know, the Jesus freak movement of, you know, like kind of like we're still hippies, but for Jesus right. is a pretty fascinating turn in the early 70s. Well, and the catcher in the rye thing like you know it kind of it all is falling hand in hand and what happened to chapman was like he fucking he he went to some small town in like fucking florida instead of going to like san francisco or like new york to like find counterculture and and then he like you know he's bumming around with these guys that he like probably didn't really want him around and he realized that these dudes are oh yeah we share everything man like so like let me get some of that joint and like well but they rob him and he's like these people are fucking phonies. And then he goes, like he starts, you know, reading catcher on the rye a lot, like incessantly, like, like every day, you know, like trying to finish it in a day. And he's really identifying with Holden Caulfield and and realizing Um, that, yeah, everyone my age is a fucking phony. Like they're like, why isn't anyone real? Like I am. Yeah. Um, which can happen when you're hanging out with like a bunch of drug doing. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. Um, also, Mark David Chapman wasn't born in Decatur, Georgia, but he was raised in Decatur, Georgia. He has where a really crazy accent. <laughs> He's got kind of like so, a. Uh, <laughs> he was raised in my hometown. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, and and you guys both love catching the right. You should hang out. Um, <laughs> as Chapman was replacing one pillar of his spiritual life with another, he discovered the book. Uh, the book Catcher in the Rye, and immediately identified with Holden Caulfield. The Catcher in the Rye took the place of the Beatles as far as his contemporary cultural interest went, while Jesus Christ replaced John Lennon as his object of worship. What really drove Chapman to kill his former idol was truly a perfect storm. As Chapman was getting into religion, Lennon said that the Beatles are bigger than Christ. That's the first offense. Then, years after that controversial statement was made, and Lennon released his hit song Imagine, in which he sings about imagining a world without religion or possessions Chapman came across a book about John Lennon that showed him in this palatial estate filled with all these material things that his vast fortune had paid for making him in Chapman's eyes and in holding Caulfield's words a phony a phony the ultimate phony yeah and not to mention like you know Mark David Chapman was severely mentally ill. He had this whole imaginary friend life going on where he was the ruler of this town of little people. And he would get so involved in this fantasy life. Like it it was really, really fucking bizarre. And these people were kind of like the government that like ran his body and mind in his opinion. He heard voices. Mm -hmm. Uh, He traveled all around the country. He did get married and have kids, which is fucking crazy. Despite all of this. I mean, also we found so, I mean, Again, not a true crime podcast, but a lot of <laughs> serial killers and people like that, Had they lives. can get married and have kids. It's true. Yeah, I mean, 
it's not necessarily the best metric for a uh, right a quote unquote normal society person right <laughs> so so uh, yeah it, it's just nuts so shortly after shooting Lennon which occurred outside of Lennon's apartment building the Dakota in New York and the, and Chapman had, had gone I believe he went multiple times and uh, realized oh it'd be mm-hmm. really easy he even had an autograph signed by John Lennon he signed uh, his one of his albums and and someone has like took a picture of that there's it's so eerie like John Lennon is signing an autograph for the guy who's gonna kill him like it's it's really crazy but after shooting lennon chapman was arrested with a copy of the catcher in the rye in his coat and on the inside cover of the book he had inscribed this is my statement and signed it holden caulfield and he had actually told people like shortly after his arrest he's going through all these interviews and psychoanalysis and all this stuff and he said that he truly believed that there was supposed to be like a 28th chapter of Catcher in the Rye, like like, a, like another chapter. Where he kills. <laughs> where, where, where he goes where on a he murderous rampage. No, but, but he said that like he was so delusional at that time that he thought that if he – like when he realized that his life's mission was to kill John Lennon and take him out, he was going to like somehow get sucked into the book and become this final chapter and the transition would be complete. Mm. Really, really crazy. Uh, that is a very intense mental He, he was illness. deeply disturbed, way past your average narcissist. Uh, yeah, so the next major crime to be influenced by the catcher in the rye was the attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan on March 30th, 19. 19- 1981, just a, a year later. The attempt on the president's life was carried out by a young man named John Hinckley Jr. His story is similar to Chapman's, but bizarre in its own way. Hinckley was an admittedly huge fan of Catcher in the Rye, but it was the film Taxi Driver that truly drove him to kill, which makes a lot more sense than being driven to kill from Catcher in the Rye. Um, but it's still kind of the same thing. The loner. No one gets me. It's, Everyone's disgusting. Yeah. Look how disgusting everything is around me. Look at these horrible people. Why doesn't anyone like, you know, why doesn't anyone get me? I, yeah, I mean, Taxi Driver also involves this kind of like a t- this sort of a interaction with a prostitute, Jodie Foster's right. character, in which the in which the uh, main character is sort of the protagonist is sort of like, oh, I want to be friends with this prostitute, but they're kind of like, I mean, I don't know who dude, happens like, to be twelve, kinda, like yeah. Well, yeah, sure. No, I mean, Taxi yeah. Driver is a. F- is objectively a more extreme <laughs> sure. fucking uh, story. But right. yeah, the loner trope, the misunderstood, disturbed loner trope. Yeah, now we know, have Joker. It's there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's all yes, the same exactly. Shit. So he became obsessed with the actress Jodie Foster's character in the film and desperately tried to gain her attention, going so far as to get her dorm room phone number and calling her dozens of dozens of times. She actually became so worried that she recorded a phone call in which she told him to stop calling. Uh, and you can find mm-hmm. that audio. It's it's pretty chilling. Uh, he you know he tried to make music too. Like he he would tell his parents, "Oh, I'm actually going out to L.A. because I got this songwriting gig, and I'm gonna try and make it." And they would they would give him money, and he would just go out there and either be reading Catcher in the Rye or going to watch Taxi Driver in the theater over and over and over and over until he ran out of money. Would go back home, come up with another thing, and come back, and and just kept doing that. And, you know, that sounds like an insufferable person. Right. Uh, who just <laughs> reads those, consumes that, that book and that movie right over and over again. Yeah, well, uh, and makes sounds, music but never performs or, like, tries to do um, anything with it. Oh, God. But, but obviously, to an actual... He was a real one. Right. He was... Li- he was 
Yeah. He was walking the walk. Yeah, no, uh, no, it's true. So he uh holds like he he tries to um he tried to kill Jimmy Carter first, I believe, and he brought uh, a bunch of guns and he, and they got taken away from him at the airport. <laughs> and it's like kind of like, send him on his way. Um so then, then you know, some time goes by. Now Reagan's the president. I'm going to kill Reagan. He gets a newspaper, finds out where he's going to be. He's in a hotel, meets him outside. He's got a Saturday night special in, in his pocket, pulls it out, which is a small, you know, any firearm that you can carry in your um in your pocket is, is essentially, you know, it's cop slaying Saturday night special mm-hmm. and he blasts off the shots. Uh, he failed to kill anyone on that infamous day, but he did manage to wound four, including the president. And during a search of his hotel room shortly after they found a copy of catcher in the rye. And I actually, wow. I, I went to the Ronald Reagan museum and or oh, the, yeah. the Ronald Reagan <laughs> Library, as it, as it's known, oh, yeah. and they had the suit that he was wearing when he got shot. By the way, which is fucking nuts. But uh, they had a temporary exhibit from the FBI where the FBI brought all this crazy evidence from these notorious ass crimes and had it on display. And they had the gun that that Hinckley used to shoot him and the copy mm. of Catcher in the Rye, along with like yes. other stuff that was taken from the room on display. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Um, so, but he, he also hit, you know, he had a police officer, he had a secret service agent, he hit the press secretary yes. who was paralyzed for, from that moment on. And with, with Reagan, it was kind of a freak accident because the secret service guys like, dude, they do not fuck around. Like they were re- one guy pulls an Uzi out of nowhere. You're like, what does that guy have an Uzi? He's wearing his three piece suit. But, uh, he, like he pulls out Got a hidden. It's, yeah. It's fucking crazy. But they tackle the guy, like one guy literally like, just like in the movies like throws himself in front of the president and like jumps on top of him and the president thought that like while being jumped on by the secret service he had broken a rib but what actually happened mm-hmm. was a bullet hit the bulletproof window and ricocheted and then hit him in the lung but Reagan mm-hmm. wouldn't leave the hospital until he was able to walk out. That was like a big thing mm. uh, of, of his. So the next time anyone saw him after he was shot, oh and he also said uh getting shot hurts. <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah. And he also said, apparently yeah. one, of the, one of the doctors that operate on him, uh, before they put him under, as they're putting the mask on him, he said, I hope you're all Republicans. And they said, Mr. President today we are. And I was just like, <laughs> okay, like that's, that's a very idealistic story. Um, but Hinckley <laughs> got the, insa- like he got, you know, he used the insanity defense and it, I mean, it worked and he, which he's should still, have worked for, for Chapman, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, both of them are still alive, but Chapman's still in prison. Um, Hinkley got out just a couple years ago, and now he has a YouTube channel where he sings his songs, yes. and we're going to play a little bit of one mm-hmm. right now. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing great. I'd just like to say that I now have 18 songs of mine on all the music streaming sites. Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Pandora, iTunes, all the rest. So check out my 18 songs on the music streaming sites. Right now, I want to do another original song of mine. Well, I don't know what is wrong with this world. I want to see some love. Everybody's fighting here and there. I want to see some love. Can we get along all day long? I think it's time we do. Can we get along 
Yeah, uh, apparently he had a show that sold out within minutes in Brooklyn, oh, and uh, yeah, and then everyone protested you- <laughs> and they canceled it. <laughs> and shit and it was like this whole thing um uh, but yeah that's that was a clip from his song can't we all get along um uh, but yeah he's kind of like a folk singer you know yeah uh he also apologized for trying to shoot the president yeah so <laughs> i mean hey <laughs> you're good yeah good that's nice that's nice of him um <laughs> and he has a he has a twitter Oh, Twitter. And just in case you guys were wondering, because um, I, I don't think I mentioned it, even though it should be obvious, the whole reason why he tried to kill the president was because if he did that, his face would be all over the news and Jodie Foster would have to know who he was. Like it was literally just yeah. to get the attention or just so she would know that he existed, which is totally just fucked. That That has got to be fucking. I mean, like. That's got to make the, you feel pretty good about yourself that someone wants to try and kill the president. Being the. Pr- no, like I'm saying, like being the president who's like getting, you're like that's got to come with the job, right? Like someone might want to shoot you, but being Jody Foster and being like, dude, this guy is willing to kill the president to get my attention, like that's fucked up. Man. Yeah, well, and that also like, like imagine being shit. the president and it's like, who shot me? Was it was it the Russians? They're like, no, sir. He's like, well, who was it? Was it was it some some Amer- American terrorist, some clandestine lone wolf? Well, no, sir. Well, what, what, what was it? Uh, is a Jody Foster fan. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? Someone who loves Taxi Driver. Yeah. Okay. Now, there are plenty of other examples of the Catcher in the Rise involvement in the lives of disturbed individuals, but the final one that we're going to talk about is that of Robert Bardo. Uh, now, Robert Bardo killed the young actress Rebecca Schaefer on July 18th, 1989, and he is a classic celeb stalker. He was just he was working in a, in a, as a janitor in a Jack in the Box in Arizona. He was absolutely enamored with Rebecca Schaefer, who he saw in the show My Sister Sam, which is a little known or you know little remembered sitcom, but it was pretty popular. She was on the cover of TV Guide. She was on the cover of Seventeen magazine. She played kind of the approachable nerd. Um, okay, and, and, okay. And, that's, and that's who she, that, that was kind of her personality in real life like she never you know bought in even when she started making real money and was appearing in films and such she never really bought into the whole celebrity thing so she lived in like a little apartment on a street that anyone could just go up and knock on the door uh, big mistake it turns out and Bardo was he was also obsessed with Tiffany and he uh, the singer Tiffany who if you haven't seen the documentary I think we're alone now I cannot recommend that enough it's about severe Tiffany fans <laughs> and stalkers oh, and uh geez. yeah bardo legit was gonna kill her and uh they took his weapon at the concert that he, that he was going to so then he kind of switched his focus to rebecca schaefer because he had written her a fan letter and they sent back um like a signed headshot and in his letter it was basically like you know, if you just send me back anything and I'll know that you got this and you feel the same way, like basically setting up. So no matter what he was sent back, it was going to be a sign that they were supposed to be together and that she agreed because that's how he framed his letter. And there was just a, yeah. you know, a, a fucking right. fan club where they're just sending the shit out to everyone. Um, so he hires a private investigator to get her address. You can't do this kind of shit anymore because of this. There's laws that were changed yes. strictly because of this case. And gets her address he has her headshot and he's literally going through this neighborhood like 
hey, do you know where this girl is? And he has all these gifts for her, including a copy of U2's Joshua Tree, because there's a song on that album that he would listen to over and over, uh, much like a taxi driver situation for Hinkley. And he knocks on the door. She comes down because she was awaiting the delivery of a script because she was going to be auditioning for The Godfather Part 3. And so she comes downstairs. Ooh. It's this weirdo. Oh, I love you. I'm your biggest fan. I wrote to you. You wrote back to me. Here's some. Here's a gift. Here's a U2 album. And uh, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, well, thank you. Bye. You know, and he's like, okay. And he leaves. I believe he got onion rings. And then he's like, fuck, that wasn't <laughs> enough. That wasn't what I was expecting. And on top of this, the movie that she had just released, I believe it's called The Class Struggle of Beverly Hills. Uh, she had a sex scene, which completely destroyed this ideal you know innocent image that he had right. of mm-hmm. her so mm-hmm. he starts getting really mad like that react that interaction didn't go as i wanted also like she kind of broke my heart i didn't get a chance to tell her about that or ask her why she did that so he goes back to the apartment knocks again again she's thinking oh this must be the script when she gets to the door he blows her away it's terrible and uh her last uh, words were damn why? i did wow i did not know that that is yeah, it's, it's pretty fucked up. And uh, so that became huge, huge fucking news. I mean, it was all over all the magazines. You know, it was all it was on hard copy. The the prosecuting attorney that that got him locked up and, you know, made a huge spectacle of this. So other celebrities can be protected and say, hey, guys, like, you know, if, if you're putting yourself out there this much, you might want to. You know, and there's also I mean, obviously, John Lennon had happened before this, um, you know, but hey, celebrities yeah. like you got to watch yourself because it's getting easier and easier for people to find you. And, um, right. but that prosecuting attorney was Marsha Clark, AKA the prosecuting attorney from oh, the OJ Simpson. OJ. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now I um, know. Yeah. Well, I know so much about this well, because I was pen pals with Robert Bardo for, uh, about two years when I worked for the museum oh, of death and he, damn. I have, uh, he drew me many pictures of Rebecca Schaefer, like by memory. And it's really creepy, but he would also draw oh, pictures of like Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus. He would ask me for, um, like I was only writing him to get this artwork to put on display in a museum that has a lot of true crime stuff. And also just cause I'm a fucking ghoul. And, uh, you know, he, he would ask me about like he would send me because he knew I had the Internet. He would send me like a list of like 20 questions like when did uh, when did this actor die? Who played Lillian Munster? Um, did you see the new Kate Hudson bathtub photo shoot in whatever magazine? Can you send me that picture? I heard there's a picture of Miley Cyrus in a white thong. Can you send me that? And like or like just oh, bo- like when did Star Trek air like weird all pop culture, all celebrity stuff. He's still completely obsessed. And he drew me all kinds of different pictures. I'll, I'll post some of that stuff to our, um, yeah. to our Patreon. But anyway, yeah. to, to just to get back to uh, JD Salinger, you could understand why that would maybe discourage you from writing another ever again yeah. novel. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's like a lot of psychos on your dick. Right. Oh, so. I, I didn't even tell you that. I forgot about this. I wrote to um, uh, oh, the, by the way, they found the uh, Bardo's copy of Catcher in the Rye on the on the roof of a nearby building. Like he started like throwing away all of his shit, and uh, like that mm-hmm. he had on him while he was running. He ended up turning himself into. He stopped traffic in Arizona. And was like, I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that did it. But he threw his book up on a roof, uh, and they found it like way later. And someone was like, Oh shit. <laughs> but um, yeah. I also wrote yeah. to Mark David Chapman, and I did get a reply. But he has like an out of state secretary. Cause he's locked up in New mm-hmm. York, but I got a letter back from Florida where I think, I think it's his wife. Cause his wife, I don't think ever left him. And, um, 
basically there's like a template letter that he sends out where there's like a, a small section where he has his answers to your questions, but he didn't write it himself. He like sends the letter mm. to his secretary. That's weird. And then it's like with, with his answers and they send you like all these brochures. Like there's one brochure or a pamphlet on like his, his full confession. One about him finding Jesus really fucking bizarre stuff. But, uh, I did have contact with those guys. Um, I should have brought Damn. up catcher in the rye had I had read it at, at that, at that time. Had you had known, you know, had I had known. So had you read this literally cl- literary classic. Yeah, I so. know. I'm bettering myself through dumpage. So what, <laughs> what does it all mean? I guess it means that art is subjective. While the personal experience and pain that Salinger went through in order to write The Catcher in the Rye was valid and also produced a classic piece of literature, the side effect was the unexpected influence the book had on a specific group of unwell individuals. The crimes inspired by the novel in no way should be blamed on the author, and any stable person who reads the book should easily be able to understand the context. The fact that it was banned is silly, as most teens at one point or another feel like young Holden. And it is for that reason that the book has withstood the test of time and is still widely taught today. There is a scary and alienated subculture of people who have used the book to confirm their darkest thoughts and beliefs. But the book is not to blame for those who act on those same dark thoughts, nor should any piece of art be blamed for the actions of an individual. Um, that's my takeaway. Of course. From yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah, and it's funny because now we have, you know, we had a bunch of controversy with the joker and i it's mean like nothing I even happened p- you know like yeah i think in part i mean you know it is you know you do start to have these kind of people who are inspired by art in a way that makes them violent and so there is of course a natural reaction to say well the the movie you know the music, the metal music, the crazy fucked up book, the movie, it caused it. Though, obviously, if you look at the statistics of the number of people that right. saw the movie or consumed the media, you're talking about like this one, like less than 1% of the people sure. that are inspired but to like do violence. But it's a big impact, you know? But it has a huge impact. I mean, it also doesn't, you don't want even close to 1%, you know, to ever to do something like no. that. I mean, I think in part because... I mean, there is a connection happening with it. I don't think that's to blame the artist, but like you do see that a lot of, especially with all these mass shootings, these school shootings, like these people usually are loners, alienated, mentally disturbed, have serious mental conditions. um, And kind of, yeah, it did kind of in a way on a, let's say on a, the lighter side of things, Catcher in the Rye, Sort of is like it's a book about alienation and angst and like being a teen, but on the darker side, which I think is you know you've said because of his experience with war, there's some pretty like dark shit like right under the surface. Yeah, the misery of the book. Um, yeah, and and yeah, and now we're I think there is sort of a dump of where it's kind of like that character kind of had a uh, like a, there was all like there was a romanticization about the character. Yeah like being the loner and then you have this like kind of miserable character but then you pair it with being like this is one of the greatest works of american literature so then it it's going to make it easier to romanticize like oh i'm just going to like get a goofy hat and smoke cigarettes <laughs> and like skulk all the time because you know it's fucking what if instead of classic, like instead of know? like a red hunting cap like his hat was like a raver's like cat in the hat hat <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like it would just change yeah. the whole dynamic of the fucking book. But anyways, um, I also sorry uh, no, one last ahead, thing yeah. because a, a lot of people have tried to make a movie of it. I think I'm 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 glad a movie hasn't been made of Catcher in the Rye. It would definitely suck ass. Yeah. Oh, it would be um, terrible, and we would have had to have watched it. Um, but maybe Leonardo DiCaprio as a teen could have pulled it off. Uh, but what's funny is someone who tried to make a, a, a movie, an adaptation of Catcher in the Rye was Ralph Bashke. Do you know oh, Ralph yeah. Bashke? Yeah. Bashke. I would have liked to see his version because all the chicks would have had huge tits. <laughs> it would have been super like racist. Like it would have been like, <laughs> You know that prostitute would have. You know that it would have been, been a live spacked. action movie. It would have been a live action movie. But when the prostitute comes, she would have been animated, and she would have been the hottest. She would have been hotter than Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, it would have been like Cool no World with Brad sense. Pitt. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that's fucking. I just think funny. it's funny he tried to make an adaptation. There's no way it wouldn't have been super perverted. Right, um, Ralph. Anyway, hey, real quick though, shout outs to our Thomas Kincaid Painter of Light episode. Nice little uh, connection yes. there, Bakshi, mm -hmm. and uh, there you go. worked on Fire and Ice. So, yeah. uh, folks, make sure you sign up to our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/CultureDumps for all of our exclusive side series. We're getting ready to drop a whole bunch of uh, new stuff on there, and uh, we know that this one was a tall order for a dump. So, thanks for hanging in there. And also, I just want to say it's Woodstock '99 season again. Um, so, make sure you yep. check out. Mm -hmm. podcast 99 our flagship series where we discuss the ultimate culture dump woodstock 99 because we're gonna be having a lot of more a lot more guests on that show because um, whenever they release a new documentary people come out of the woodwork so with that being said i'm ryan lichten i've been joined by parks miller keep on dumping and all <laughs>